Hi everyone, my name is Amusa Kalenga. It's so good to be back. Uh, welcome to the first African Tech Conversation interview that we've put out in actually quite a while. Uh, so I've missed you all, but I'm really, really pleased to have a program here with a Kenyan blockchain enthusiast, data wrangler, and all-round nice guy, entrepreneur Michael Kimani. Uh, we've got a really cool conversation that's going to be happening, and uh, I can guarantee you that you're going to learn something new because this world is new to me as well. And every time I have conversations with you know bright individuals like this, I definitely learn something. Um, and so today, that's my hope for you. Uh, that's tuning in. Uh, before we get into that, just a big thank you to the Cello Community Fund for getting behind African Tech Roundup's current season of blockchain-themed learning content. Over the next several months, all of you can look forward to much more exclusive interviews with innovators from Africa's blockchain scene, insight-filled written think pieces, op-eds that uh, come from the entrenched specialists as well as talented journalists all over the world and uh, of African origin, and even live interactive Twitter spaces uh, where you can be part of the conversation. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on. And you can be really excited about that. And uh, thank you to uh, the Cello Community Fund for making it happen. So make sure that you don't miss a thing. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at African Roundup or search for African Tech Roundup on Facebook and LinkedIn. And you can find our profiles and follow us there. And as always, we welcome engagement. We welcome any comments, feedback. Um, it's really great to interact with you even outside of the of the podcast. And of course, if you'd like to learn more about Celo's mission to build a financial system that creates conditions for prosperity for everyone, you can visit celo.org, that's C-E-L-O.org, and apply for a Celo Community Fund grant like the one making this podcast possible. You can head to the Celo Community Fund org right so if you're interested in being able to uh, get some of the products and the things that you're building um, into a space that can ultimately build them out and support the initiatives that you're working on uh, make sure you head to sellercommunityfund.org okay so it gives me the utmost pleasure to welcome mr kimani michael how are you today i'm i'm, I'm doing great man thank you musa for hosting me today an absolute uh, absolute pleasure, pleasure. Yeah, yeah i'm glad i'm glad to have you sir i've been looking forward to this conversation and uh you know chatting with you offline and seeing some of the stuff you've been up to really really excites me and uh, i'm pretty sure our audience are going to get some some deep insight and in, uh where you're at and the exciting opportunities that are available uh, to africans who embrace uh this new wave that we're in so i'm going to jump straight in if you don't mind um, everybody's got a love story. Everybody's got a love story about technology and how they ended up doing what they're doing. Uh, so I'd yeah. like to ask you, your fir the first question really is just to give me a sense of what's your, what's your love story? How did you get into this world? Why did you get into this world? And you know, what made you fall in love with the opportunities um, in this world? Wow, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> uh, and I think it's really going to uh, set the foundation for my story into getting into crypto and blockchain yeah. and Web3, which is what we're about to talk about. Mm. But I would say Bitcoin was probably my, was, was my first love in this African startup uh, tech ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, so the year is uh, 2013. Um, I just completed university. I'm waiting uh, six months to graduate. Uh, what did you it's study? It's taken me I seven years. Yeah. Why did you study, if I may ask? So, uh, okay, let me take a step back. I was uh, in university at uh, Jomo Kenyatta University of Agriculture and Technology. It's one of the okay. most uh, elite technology universities in, in, in Kenya. Okay. And uh, I, studied in, I studied electronic communications and computer engineering. It was a five-year course. But for some reason... Uh, I, I dropped out for a year. I had to stay out for a year. I think I was discontinued at some point. So I ended up taking almost seven years, seven or eight years okay. to complete my education. So this is December 2013. Yeah, this is like my last paper. Uh, I'm about to complete campus. And in that year, I'd come across Bitcoin somehow. Uh, I was living back home with my parents. And Bitcoin was really interesting. I discovered it through... Uh, a similar show to this one, it was a BBC podcast and they were talking about Bitcoin and they found it really fascinating. And I, that's when I began to explore it. And uh, when, I, when, I, when I completed my university study that, that year, I was waiting to graduate. 
I kind of spent a lot more time reading up on it a bit more, exploring it. I think naturally I'm someone who's uh, interested in in new things. Yeah. So I kind of got lost in a rabbit hole. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, at that point in time, I, I, I joined a prop trading firm. So I was trading derivatives, future derivatives at a prop trading firm in Nairobi for about two months. And one day this guy, my boss called me in and asked me to write a resignation letter um, because he, he thought I couldn't cut it. Uh, I was too distracted. I, I, I was always looking, staring out the window. Wait, so he asked you to resign, door. basically? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's like a nice way of, of firing you. you know, so he asked me to, to write a resignation letter. <laughs> and I think that was like the lowest moment to get full into crypto. So... I wrote the resignation letter and I went back home and uh, my dad was also asking me to move out. He felt it was, uh, it was about time. time I manned up because mm. I'm old right now. It's taken so long for me to wrap up university. So my friend Kevin Jeru helps me move out. Um, I've just lost my first job and I'm kind of lost. Um, I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I have this one thing. I have my laptop, I have my computer. I have uh, $600 in savings in the bank account and I have writing skills. I've always had writing skills. So these are the only tools that I have to kind of make it in the world. And as soon as I move out, I'm like, wow, this Bitcoin thing looks interesting. Uh, Let me see if I can find any jobs about writing about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I end up finding a, a role for this company known as uh, CEX Exchange. This is one of the earliest crypto exchanges. And I think it was based out of somewhere in Eastern Europe. Mm. And somehow I end up getting a job with them writing price analysis, Bitcoin price anal- analysis articles for them. And, and this is because I have, uh, I obviously have a financial background, trading derivatives. Yes. I also studied finance uh, whenever I was not part of, uh, I was not enrolled in university. I also have um, my engineering knowledge, which helps me like understand this thing as a technology. Yeah. And my finance background helps me understand this thing from the, the massive impact it can have in the financial system. So I'm able, and combine that with my writing skills, I'm, I'm able to sit down and look at the markets and kind of figure out uh, a, a story every week. For, for our readers and I end up getting paid about a hundred dollars. Okay. And this becomes my job for the next uh, six months. And, and, and I love it. I love it because someone is paying me to write. They're paying me in, in crypto and I can spend the rest of my time studying Bitcoin. So really this was my first love with Bitcoin because it, it got me my first job. It got me at a moment, at one of the lowest moments in my life. And it really just opened a world of opportunities. So looking back right now, seated at my laptop and all I could do at my desktop and all I could do was just get lost in Bitcoin forums, any article I could find, any community I could find where people are talking about Bitcoin, just to understand and convince myself and find the conviction to sort of invest myself in this new new phenomenon i really Very nice. i think i had had the right foundation to just see this was gonna be something amazing i think the hardest part was first convincing myself and this is why i ended up spending a ton of time just reading and reading and yeah. engaging with anonymous people online just to, to convince myself that it was worth investing my time and energy in this thing. And okay. I have to say right now, looking back. It was a I'm worthwhile like, investment. <laughs> it feels magical. It yeah. feels magical. I, 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 I don't know how to describe it. And I think this is the first time I've been able to share that moment with the world. There's very few people, maybe two or three people who know that story. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. That was really insightful. Yeah. Um, I think a big part of, uh, you know why we do these kind of podcasts is to get to get the backstory. Often people don't really understand kind of how much effort and time it takes uh, for people like yourself to get to to where they're at um, with six hundred dollars a laptop and writing skills. You know, seems obvious, 
but uh, it's taken some time. And then in 2017, you 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 decided to form the Blockchain Association of Kenya. Um, why why was this important at that stage? So so let me step back a bit. So in 2017 is when I actually like registered it and got it started yeah but the idea really started in 2014 so yeah something that happened in 2014 while i was out and about writing uh i i found a kenyan community an early kenyan community a bitcoin early kenyan bitcoin community that was holding meetups yeah. and this community was organized by bitpesa bitpesa is one of the earliest crypto bitcoin startups in africa and in kenya and uh, it was founded by elizabeth rosiello and as part of their go-to-market initiative, they'd run community events at some of the technology hubs in Nairobi. So this particular one was happening at uh, the Nairobi garage. And I remember checking online and seeing, wow, these other people in Kenya who have discovered Bitcoin and they kind of see the, the potential. And it was really amazing for me. And I had to sign up. So I signed up. I even went as far as writing an email to Elizabeth asking her how, how could I contribute to this to this meetup that was happening and she was like you know what you could come in and maybe talk about how Bitcoin can help the meet on sales and so forth and I was super excited and when I went for this meetup I, I did such a great job at like uh, dumbing down the technology right. for the attendees and I think Elizabeth and uh, Charlene who I'm super grateful for I think they saw a spark in me and they decided to call me up the following week on Wednesday. And they asked me, hey, Michael, what, what do you think about uh, uh, running a nonprofit organization in Nairobi mm. uh, that will champion the Bitcoin uh, gospel, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> in, in, in Kenya and East Africa, and uh, we'll give you $400 for it. So I was like, wow. I mean, <laughs> where do I sign? point in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where do I sign up? This, this is like my second job yeah. now, yeah. you know? Yeah. So uh, the, the name we had at the time was the African Digital Currency Association. Okay. And uh, I decided, it, I was tasked with running meetups uh, on a regular basis across the technology hubs which i did with father and uh, i was also tasked with trying to register this organization which proved that a bit difficult so i think that was the first time i found out how like uh, things are not as easy mm. in in the real world as they are online like in the real world if you want to register any organization with the name currency in it, you may need to go talk to the central banks. So registering this organization was difficult to yeah. begin with. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up running around in circles until I finally realized that this is going to be harder than I thought. Mm. But I still ended up doing the meetups. And I think uh, a lot of this is documented online. There's pictures, there's nice. articles are dried. So I really went full in because I was passionate about this technology really yeah. and i really wanted others to to hear about this and see if they could find a place in it yeah so in 2017 was was like a comeback where i felt i had enough resources to to put together an organization uh, at that time i was a co-founder of a, a bitcoin company with my friend matthew so we had an interest in setting up a nonprofit organization. Yeah. And we registered the Blockchain Association of Kenya for okay. 25,000 Kenya shillings, which is about to $50. And really, that was the beginning of the Blockchain Association of Kenya. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. And I went on to, to, to build a community leveraging the Blockchain Association as a brand. So I used the Blockchain Association of Kenya as a way to build a community and network that Fantastic. ended up growing from <laughs> from 10 people to to, to 100,000 people wow. so that was really amazing and again this is another story a lot of people don't know <laughs> about me <laughs> yeah. but i really love that experience because for me that was like uh it was like building a startup just yeah. like building a community yeah and and right now a lot of the skills that people pay me for now were from that those, experience those yeah. Years. yeah okay yeah. well that's fantastic I, li I like the fact that you, you're sharing 
uh, stories that not many people know. I mean, this platform, African Tech Roundup, is is about getting down to uh, the stuff that you won't find that you you know Google easily. So so thank you for that. Firstly, um, secondly, obviously you've you've explained that getting some foundational aspects of uh, blockchain and trying to ingrain that has been fairly difficult. But we've now reached a point where it's becoming slowly but surely becoming mainstream. I mean, you're quite advanced. Uh, but if I was to ask you the three things, I mean, blockchain for basics or blockchain uh, for dummies, what are the three things um, that an interested listener or an avid individual that really doesn't have much knowledge of this world um, would need to know? What would you say those three things are? Uh, blockchain as a, as a as a body of knowledge is so vast. And I think part of you know starting to learn about it is identifying a starting point. So if you were to choose three things that someone should try and get to grips with with regards to blockchain, uh, what would those three things be? Hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> tough question, but you're right. There's so much in, in blockchain. Yeah. But um, I think from my experience and my journey, what, one of the things that definitely highlight and pick out would be the philosophy that informs blockchain. Like yeah. this technology is first and foremost informed by strong principles, strong opinions that people have, like the people who birthed this technology and they built this technology, they really have strong opinions around the kind of freedoms that uh, people should be allowed to enjoy online. Yeah. yeah? And I think uh, Bitcoin itself is grounded in a philosophy based on allowing a form of money to exist that is separate and independent from any state uh, or any country or any nation or any central bank. Yeah, and it was really backed at the height of the financial crisis in 2008. Yeah. So that's one thing. I think there's a lot of philosophy around Bitcoin, such as uh, freedom of uh, freedom of money, freedom of, uh, of, of, of censorship. And this is really what underpins this technology. And crypto is usually the first use case that that's been built on these philosophies as a way to allow the internet to have a, a currency or a or a form of value that is independent of the state. Uh, the other the other thing I'd, I'd pick out so is uh, the current state of the world. So the current state of the world is highly is highly polarized. It's uh, fragmented with different nations uh, having different interests. Yet online, we this this boundary is kind of blur. So we live in a world where I, I can talk to someone in the United States, uh, interact with them, get into an economic transaction, uh, and not not have to care what country I'm from, and that person wouldn't have to care what country I'm from. Yeah. So we we kind of live in a world right now where the the real world boundaries and geographies have kind of been blurred online yeah. and this there there is a gap or a need for technology that is neutral or transcends uh geographical lines and blockchain is really one of these technologies it's because it it it, it sort of it, it allows us to have a way to record things that is not dependent on any single one of us, that's not dependent on any single country, that's not dependent on any single server, you yeah. know? And considering how we are all online from different countries and we are transferring value and interacting in economic affairs, this the timing was really perfect. There was something about the timing where it's almost as if the world was craving this. Yeah. And this technology just somehow emerged. So, so there's that as well. Okay. I think the last thing is, is uh, the last thing I'd point out is the fact that we're online and, and it's really easy to, to sort of copy paste things. So today, Musa, I could go to your Twitter and copy something that you've shared and rewrite it somewhere else and not have to give attribution, you know? And yet you, probably putting some significant creative effort into creating whatever piece of work that is, whether it's writing or, or, or a, a drawing and so forth. So we, we kind of have a need of tracking who, who was 
the first person who made this. You know, we have a need for provenance online because in the real world, it's a bit different. We have these registries that we rely on where we go and register something the first moment it's it's created. Mm-hmm. But how do we do this for, for the online world where the, 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 the boundaries between countries are, are blood? Mm-hmm. So blockchain as a shared piece of record where all of us can record whatever it is that we want mm-hmm. as a way to prove that I was the first person to, to create this. It's also it also serves as a critical spine for the massive web economy that we have right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think those are three things that 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 come to mind. That's fantastic. Yeah. So just to summarize, yeah. I mean, you've mentioned the this idea around you know independence. Um, the, the financial crisis created a lot of mistrust in the world, and so you know I suppose a, a direct consequence of that is that there was a need for you know independence or freedom, as you, as you put it. Um, the world that we currently live in, you know, the the kind of the polarization, the blurring of the lines geographically. We've all heard the stories about, you know, an Africa without boundaries, and as an example, um, you know, really creates an opportunity for blockchain. And then the last thing you mentioned is almost kind of the point of of first origin. How do we start to get provenance around, you know, who first created or who first uh, came up with something? Um, I think those are really, really great um, areas to study in their own right, also fairly broad. But uh, if you get those foundational principles, I think we off to we off to a good start. Um, what I'd like to understand and, and just know from from you um, on on the eighth of January, you posted uh, a really interesting love letter to Africa, saying here are eight types of commercial interests vying for a piece of your future, um, uh, the crypto Africa opportunity. And you spoke about big tech startups, uh, browser or companies, card companies. You, you spoke about quite a few things. Um, and uh, and I'd like for you to just uh, you know elaborate on one or two of those commercial interests um, that you think are really interesting opportunities immediately that will move the needle for our continent, um, and why does blockchain enable them to do that? Okay, thanks for for bringing that up. Uh, first first of all, that that uh, tweet I shared with my infographic was I always share stuff on Twitter to get feedback from people. So since then. I've gotten some feedback and I'm gonna redo it into an article for for one of the African publications and it might include two or three more extra categories. Um, but th- that tweet really summarized a lot of what I've seen, the people I've talked to, uh, the trends I'm tracking. Like Africa is really primed to reap the benefits of uh, this new upgrade to the internet. And I, and I say that with quotes, uh, because there's a lot of disagreement about uh, what this upgrade looks like, yeah. but it's definitely clear that the internet from today or ever since crypto came up, is gonna look a whole lot different than yeah. it would have if we didn't have it. And Africa seems really primed for this because of the fact that we have millions of people who their first, internet experience was through a mobile phone, was through a smartphone. And this didn't happen until after after 2010. So really, before 2010, it's fair to say we didn't have a a, a huge mass of people on the internet. But the rest of the world did, like uh, Europe and the United States, uh, Asia. But Africa, mass internet adoption really came through the support of uh, smartphones. So Africa is at a time where we have millions of people on smartphones, uh, millions of people connected to the internet, millions of people on social media platforms like WhatsApp, uh, Facebook, Instagram, millions of people trading on these platforms. So there's a lot of commerce and trade going on. Uh, There's a lot of, there's millions of young people in Africa right now connected to the internet. Some of them are creators, some of them are consuming content, some of them are working jobs online. So Africa is like, is like the darling of, of investors and anyone of, of tech investors, mm. because they can see a huge opportunity to, 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 to capitalize on this mass, mass market. So one of the ones, one of the, the, the commercial interests that I find interesting that is interested in Africa right now is Google. So 
a lot of 90% of the phones, yeah, smartphones in Africa run on these operating systems known, known as Android. Mm. And and Android was is an operating system that is partially owned uh, by Google. So you have these millions of devices running Android software. So it effectively means Google has all these millions of customers coming on board their ecosystem, coming on board their platform, coming on board their products like Gmail. And there's always been one critical piece missing. Yeah. And this has been, if, if we wanted to collect payments from these millions of people in Africa for, let's say, a simple online service. Yeah. yeah. Let's say we wanted to collect uh, money that was as small as half a dollar. You know, like mm-hmm. let's say 10 Kenya shillings. 10 Kenya shillings is a tenth of a dollar. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. How would you go about that? And it turns out that the history of the internet was because it happened before 2010, before massive numbers of African users were on the internet. It was kind of designed without considering you payment can't... methods that yeah. Africans use right now. So, so right now, mobile money is used by 400 million people in Africa. Airtime currency is used by even more people. Yet, if you go to the internet today, these payment methods are not natively integrated. Yeah. So companies like Google are looking at this opportunity, this crypto blockchain opportunity, as a way to, to, to include us in this digital economy. And one of the simplest ways to include people is to allow them to send money into the digital economy yeah. and send money out of this digital economy so that they can do things like create content, put it up somewhere, sell it and cash out. So this, this payment gateway is, is a really critical point. And uh, this is why companies like Google are really interested in, in Africa and the crypto opportunity in, in Africa right now it's funny you should mention that um i i read an article i think it's uh it, 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 google's acquired a stake in airtel if i remember correctly um and uh, it's a small stake but to your point i think the the solving for this ecosystem requires a few different parts of the puzzle um and ultimately being able to enable you know microtransactions of that nature with verification identity etc starts to be you know part of how uh, you get the value out of uh, out of a constant like ours. So, um, so I think I agree with you on that on that point. I think the the second one that you that that caught my eye. Sorry, I'm kind of interjecting, but I'm quite excited. Um, <laughs> you, you you mentioned uh, you know uh, browser companies like Opera um, as potential commercial interests with with blockchain. What, what did you what did you have in mind when you thought about that? Yeah. So, you know, when Africans so so millions of Africans are on Android phones. Yeah. Yeah, on Android smartphones. Yep. Um, over 60% of these smartphones are manufactured by Chinese companies. And when, if you think about when you want to access the internet, you usually either go to an application or you go to your internet browser. Mm-hmm. So browser companies, there are, there are two companies that have a significant market share across all these smartphone-enabled devices and these millions of people accessing the internet. And one of them is Opera, uh, and the other one is Google. And then third and fourth is uh, Mozilla, and there's one more browser. I think it's known as UTC. So these these browser companies are like the interface for these African users on the internet. Say when they're reading an article, a tabloid article, say if they want to Google something and find out an answer to their question. So there's a high engagement between the millions of African users and these browser companies. And browser companies always are always thinking about how can we engage with our users more, you know? And um, one of the things that happened a couple of years ago was Opera, which is uh, one of the most popular browser companies in Africa, got into crypto uh, and they got into crypto by adding a, a crypto wallet embedded within the browser. Now, if, if, if you're not actively tra- tracking this industry, you may not realize the significance of that. Mm. 
But generally in this industry, in the blockchain crypto industry, what's happening is you will effectively be able to go to any application <clears throat> and log into that application with a wallet that could contain some form of crypto within it. So, for example, you could go to a website where you're reading an article and because you've been regularly coming back to read this article from this news site, such as Opera News, mm -hmm. they would want to reward you for the time and attention that you spend reading their articles. And the way they do this is they reward you with crypto tokens. So the future we are heading into, we are going to have wallets or crypto wallets or wallets that can hold value embedded in every each and every one of our transactions, whether you're lead reading an article somewhere, whether you're talking to a friend through an instant messenger. So, so embedding crypto wallets into browsers is one of the key trends of the crypto blockchain uh, uh, industry and, and this emerging economy. So browser companies have an interest in, in positioning themselves for the African users as uh, a place, not only a place where they can engage users, maybe through content, but possibly also in this new emerging economy, a place where users can earn tokens or value for mm. engaging with content or earn value from, let's say, things like taking surveys online or maybe earn tokens from things like uh, creating content online. So it makes sense for these companies to position themselves into the crypto economy. So the question really is, which are the most popular browser companies in Africa? And right now, Opera and Google are top of the list. And it totally makes sense. I can see why yeah. they are buying for this of the African crypto opportunity. And, and, you know, and when you mention that, I mean, I, I think it's important to just think about what that means, right? So embedding wallets um, or crypto wallets into, into browsers, that's, that's phenomenal. And also it creates a lot of questions. It creates questions around, um, you know, how much education needs to happen for consumers to understand exactly what that means. It creates questions around, you know, does this happen automatically? Is there privacy issues here? Um, it creates questions around, you know, you know what's, what's the journey of educating people, you know, exactly uh, relating to, you know, what we see now in terms of personal information, interaction, engagements, ETC. So, you know, the, the, the big thing for me is that if you look at any of these uh, interests, uh, commercial interests that you've identified, be it uh, browser companies, be it card companies, big tech, um, the, the real question comes around governance, right? It comes around, you know, who's creating these rules and how are they being implemented? And if I also reflect on what's been happening uh, lately um, with the Central Bank of, of Kenya, um, you know, they've, they've publicized a point of view with regards to how they're going to govern and ensure that everything is um, is above board or at least, you know, managed in, in a way that makes sense. Um, how will we get to a point where there's some level of control, if, if, if at all possible, um, that helps us liberate the opportunities that come with, uh, you know, an amazing innovation like a crypto wallet embedded into a browser? Um, you know, how far are we away from that? And, you know, what are your thoughts? I know you recently published you know, a, a great piece on what the central bank in Kenya are are doing. So, so can you share with us your your opinion on that? Yeah. So, I think one of the lessons I've learned growing up as an adult, one of the biggest lessons I've learned growing up as an adult, is that everything is political. You know, like whenever there's more than one person involved in anything, there's already some politics starting to rise head. I consider politics as the like negotiations between people or entities or institutions, sometimes countries, you know. So I consider all that politics. And right. it's fair to say that the internet is political, yeah? So the internet and the technology that we use, it is all political. Because, for example, um, right now, out of all the millions of smartphones that have shipped to Africa, 60% of those smartphones are manufactured in China. Yeah, by Chinese companies. So you got to ask yourself, what, what does that mean for, for Africa? If you look at uh, social media platforms, millions on, of Africans are on WhatsApp and Facebook. And these yeah. are primarily platforms that are owned by companies that live or are housed in 
in the West, like in the United States or in yeah. Singapore, you know? So even the internet where we have conversations, you know, sometimes conversations are censored if they don't uh, adhere to the rules and regulation, let's say, of a social media platform like Twitter. So the mere fact that all of us are spending so much time online doing all sorts of things, such as conversations or commerce, has inherently made the internet and the web a space where different factions are vying for control. All these, these there's some politi- politics going on in that environment. And one example is, um, I think it was last year, the president, ex-president of the United States, he made an order that banned uh, Huawei equipment from um, being used by the United States government. And part, pa- part of his order affected companies like Google, which had to sever ties with the Chinese companies like Huawei. Yeah? Yeah. Now that story looks really simple, but on the ground, if you come to Nairobi right now, there's people selling phones at electronic shops who are not able to sell some certain types of phones because of the political issues between Google, the US, Huawei, and China. So yeah. because Google owns a significant part of the of, of un, the Android operating system and it owns it has full control of the Google Play Store, it was effectively able to ban Huawei from adding Play Store as part of its products. And that meant that users in Africa would buying a Huawei smartphone are not able to access Google Play Store and somehow have to figure out another way to download their favorite apps on their phone. So right. I'm, I'm just sharing this to show you how technology is inherently uh, political. political. Yeah. Mm. So back to your question. Yeah. I think what I'm seeing with crypto and blockchain, crypto and blockchain, what they did is they introduced the most extremist form of liberated technology, yeah? like technology that can be accessed by anyone, regardless of their color, of their race, of their country. So yes. let's say, for example, something like Bitcoin. Anyone can access Bitcoin today if they have access to a smartphone or a, and an internet connection. Yeah. But if you look at financial services like credit cards, uh, PayPal, you, you, you'd kind of, of have to go through a rigorous KYC process, asking yeah. for your documents, asking for where you live, just to get type. access to that financial service. Whereas with something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is just like cash. You, no one will ask you for your ID. So what crypto and blockchain did is, and, and this goes back to something I said earlier on our call, where there's a lot of philosophy informing the design and the emergence of this technology. So crypto and blockchain is like the extreme end of control. So if you think of a spectrum where on one end you have full control and yep. on, the other, on the other end you have the wild west or no control, that, that is Bitcoin and crypto and blockchain. And that, that has really disrupted <laughs> like any plans, any, any organizations that uh, operate based on control. Any plans they might have had were disrupted because that's suddenly, every government in the world, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's every government. It's a central bank. It's yeah. Google, and then this is also it's the technology giants, and this is coming in at a point in time where there is already all this, <laughs> all these political fights over who controls the internet, you know? Yes. So now that means you're adding like, you're throwing, uh, what's the phrase? Throwing Fuel something the into the chicken cup, yeah? <laughs> or you're yeah. throwing a hen amongst the chickens. Yes, <laughs> uh, it's a fox, fox in the chicken oh, fox. cup. That's yeah, right. <laughs> it's a fox, yeah. So this, this is exactly what this technology have done. And a lot of people call this game theory, you know, where just adding a small element into something completely changes the, the outcomes in future. So right now I'd say what's really happening, even when we see the Central Bank of Kenya saying, uh, no, we're not allowing crypto, or Russia saying we are banning crypto, 
or the United States saying China has too much control on Bitcoin mining and so forth and so forth. This is a knee-jerk response, right? It's yes. It's a thing to do when you're used to control. Yes, absolutely. This is like, it's now it's like you've gone, gone from a stable environment into chaos, you know, and now everyone is rushing for their door. Like, let's figure this out. What do we do? How do we regain control? How did the U.S. remain significant in future and so forth? So everything really you see um, coming out from especially established institutions or established powers of control or epicenters of control is really just trying to figure out, okay, how do we manage this and still somehow secure a place for ourselves in the future? I think everything can be, I, I could, I'm confident everything can falls under that. Yeah, yeah, so if you're reading any piece of news around some country banning Bitcoin or some country adopting Bitcoin, like El Salvador, it's yeah. just the introduction of this uh, anarchist or extreme anti-control technology into, uh, into the conversation of yeah. the future of the internet. Yeah, it's the elephant in the room. Yeah, which is super ironic, right? Because the the very thing that's made uh, blockchain so appealing—the independence, the you know, the, the freedom, the you know, the ability to you know be borderless—is the very thing that is is seemingly to con- constraining its scale, uh, its ability to scale. But what what that ultimately means is that there's going to be an entire shift. There's an emergent, uh, there'll be emergent centers of power that are decentralized, you know, um, and uh, and part of that decentralization. Is what's making a lot of these organizations, companies, governments extremely, extremely nervous. And you've had the pleasure of consulting to some of these governments, so I'm very interested in, you know, maybe one or two, you know, lessons or anecdotes that you've taken from, you know, your consulting assignments, and uh, and for you, um, what you think is important to take from those uh, lessons or observations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just to build on your point, like this technology really has introduced. Uh, new ways to think about how we can govern the internet. I think that's really the biggest takeaway, you know. And yeah. just going back to that example of Android where Google owns a significant uh, control over the Android operating system, which runs on a majority of smartphones in Africa. In this new crypto blockchain world, the operating systems of this new world are not owned by a single company, are not owned by a Google. They are they are owned by a collective of people. And that's just to show you how this, this, uh, this emerging economy, this trend is, is also political in the sense of reshaping who can be an owner of a platform, who yeah. can be, uh, uh, what, who, which are the new centers of power, you know, just like, just like you said. Um, going back to your question, I mean, I think governments are definitely watching uh, this technology in regards watching to different, and, mm, watching and trembling. <laughs> watching and trembling. Like the central bank governor of Kenya, or the central bank governor of Kenya, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not his biggest fan. And, and that's because since 2014, I've, I've, I, was, I was trying to bring Bitcoin and crypto to the people. And yeah. I'd say his policies were in the way of my objectives. So I'm not a big I fan see. of it. But yeah. I think a lesson from that is, even though the Central Bank of Kenya, the Central Bank of the, the governor of the Central Bank of Kenya, he set out some restrictions that prevented companies like Bitpesa, which was the first company I worked for, from operating in our countries and offering people service in the same way you'd get services from a bank. But inadvertently, yeah, what he did is he pushed people to seek other ways of accessing crypto. And because crypto and blockchain is designed, like I said earlier, to be accessible to anyone with no barriers. Kenya is now the leading country in Africa for crypto peer-to-peer transactions. So even though people cannot use their bank accounts to buy crypto, they were somehow able to figure out that you could swap Bitcoin between two people the same way you can cash. And that's been the biggest story of Africa, that 
despite these central bank governors from Nigeria, from South Africa, from Kenya, from Ghana, despite their opposition to this technology, <laughs> they have been advantageously created the biggest crypto peer-to-peer market in the world. Africa is processing about $105 billion, according to chain analysis, in crypto peer-to-peer payments. Africa is the fastest growing peer, crypto peer-to-peer market in Africa, growing at 1,200% between June 2020 and July 2021. Africa is the number one region in the world for crypto peer-to-peer transactions. So you can see how these political dynamics play out. You know, One central bank governor wakes up, says, I'm, I'm burning this thing, but <laughs> he ends up accelerating the adoption of alternative <laughs> crypto peer-to-peer tools. So um, you asked me a, a good question about uh, what are interesting projects I've seen from the government. I think maybe two I'd mention is as part of my work at the Blockchain Association of Kenya, I got to meet a lot of high government officials like the Treasury yes. Minister, like the ICT Minister. And it was really strange to see how disconnected they were from, from this technology because it seems they, they were completely disconnected from how fast it was accelerating. And I can just imagine. I really can just imagine. <laughs> yeah. So that was exciting to see because I, I, I could see, wow, this technology is going to surprise a lot of these old institutions, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the other project that I saw that I worked on, and I won't mention the, the country, I worked on a blockchain, for, a blockchain ID project for an African country. And uh, nice. basically, it was a project where the government registry was trying to find a way to uh, reduce the barriers for SMEs trying to access finance from banking institutions. So this project had the government registry. It had uh, one of the largest banks in, in that region. And blockchain kind of presented an opportunity to, to improve this process of accessing finance by, by, by streamlining the, the process of submitting your personal details, such as KYC details. And mm-hmm. it turns out that, that that blockchain, the way it's designed, it, it kind of allows us to, to restore control of our own personal data to, to the, the users that own it. So this government was trying to explore and see how could this technology potentially work for resolving uh, yeah. a big issue in their country. And I ended up recommending that they should definitely consider blockchain technology as a, okay. as a way to streamline SME financing. And I learned a lot of lessons from the government of Canada. There's, there's a state in, in Canada known as uh, British Columbia, and they had mm. implemented this solution. So I ended up borrowing a lot from that and recommending okay. it to this African government. So I was happy to see that from that government, but I should mention that the reason that particular government was so open-minded to exploring the opportunities in this technology is because of some of the champions that were part of government and had a deep appreciation for this technology. So I do think for this thing to kind of seep into our public institutions, it may, it requires a lot of advocacy and people who buy into the ethos of this technology. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenal story because, I mean, if you think about SME finance in terms of access to capital, it's a massive challenge uh, across the continent. Um, but as you've said, I mean, it's a, it's a gentle balance between understanding uh, leaders in the structures that are progressive and that are fans of, of innovation and development. It's about having service providers in the ecosystem that can create the solutions. And, you know, hopefully that, that helps us to move the needle. So, so thank you for that uh, that observation. I, I could sit here and chat to you all day, all night, uh, Mr. <laughs> Kimani. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think we we've run out of time for this uh, this episode, and you know maybe if we can twist your arm, we can have a another discussion. Um, I just wanted to first of all, you know, take my hat off and say congratulations on the work that you've done. Um, you know, selflessly working at, uh, at at trying to move our continent forward, trying to you know have the conversations and really flying the flag. Um, I think that you, you know, you, you're at the cusp of, of something phenomenal. 
I know you're also very involved with uh, with Phone Bank, and you know, hopefully, we can have a conversation about that. That's another wonderful uh, startup story of success. So, thank you very much uh, for your time, um, and uh, and with that, um, I'll I'll be able to release you. Asante Sana, thanks for having me, and I hope we can uh, share more stories in the future. Excellent, thank you. So. There you have it, folks. Um, that was it for this African Tech Conversation. A huge thank you uh, to Michael Kimani. Um, and uh, if you want to follow him and uh, get into his mind a little bit more, you can on Twitter at PESA underscore Africa um, and on LinkedIn by searching for Michael Kimani. And uh, you can also check out his blog. That's kioneki.com, K-I-O-N-E-K-I.com. So you can have a chat with him online because the conversation never ends, obviously. Um, but also, we're also going to share more uh, blockchain insights in the coming weeks and months. Um, and thank you to the Cello Community Fund. Um, and as always, you can uh, have your say. We'd like to hear from you. And you can do so by clicking on the Have Your Say link in the show notes. Uh, so wherever you're listening, either on your microphone icon or on the right of your screen, if you're tuning in directly from African Tech Roundup, you can leave us a 60-second voice note. Uh, reacting to this episode and i think i'm going to start leaving uh, little cookies inside the show notes so that you can you know get tokens as a result of giving us your opinion um, but you can have your say and we'll definitely play that back um, on the on the show so that everybody can get an understanding of uh, how you feel and what you're thinking um, you can also reach us on twitter so our hashtag atruc or via our handle african roundup um, we always love to hear from you and uh, we like we take your insights and feedback quite seriously uh, so if you vary our work, we can also you know, invite you to participate uh, by joining our Patreon community to help us grow and scale uh, and continue producing the amazing stuff that we like to do um, and uh, allow us to be single-mindedly focused on creating value for you guys. So um, we're really, really, really excited about the series that we're going on and we hope that the learning uh, helps you not only in your uh, immediate space, but also to spread the love uh, because blockchain is a very important part of Africa's future. And I think the more we share, the more we grow, the more we grow, um, the more our continent moves forward. So, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone from across the world, um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, that's it for now. And thank you for listening. Uh, until next time, take it easy. My name is Musa Kalenga, and I thank you for your attention. Cheerio. Cheerio.